1: Thank
2: you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal.
3: Hey, everybody, it's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast with new episodes every Thursday at podcastone.com, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Hope you're having a great week. Thank you for listening. Thank you uh, for subscribing and checking out this podcast every week and uh, listening around the world, wherever you are doing it. I greatly appreciate it. So this week, something special for you, Uh, something I wish I did not have to do. But you will hear, as I promised you last week on the podcast, a special tribute today to the late great bassist of the band UFO, Pete Way. Pete Way passed away, uh, I guess at the time you're hearing this, it would be about a week and a half ago. Anybody that knows me knows I am an enormous UFO fan. Pete Way was one of my all-time favorite bass players, entertainers, characters, performers. And, you know, the, the big takeaway is, With Pete's death, which, look, if you knew the way Pete lived his life, it's not entirely a shock to say the least that he passed away at the age of 69 years old because he was quite notorious for the way he lived. But the most amazing thing for me since Pete passed away is the outcrying of love and support. And it just shows the influence this guy had on so Many musicians, many of whom went on to have much, much greater success. And I loved seeing that. You know, UFO is a band that I'm extremely passionate about. And to see all the artists that have reached out via social media and talked about the influence and the impact of the band and Pete has been truly, truly remarkable and awesome to see. So, to that end, When I found out that Pete had passed away, I wanted to dedicate a show to him, and I did. And I had a ton of artists with interest in being a part of this tribute that you're about to hear, including people that played with Pete, whether it be in UFO or the band Wasted. And as you know, and as I tell you guys every week, The interviews you hear on my podcast almost every week originated on my Sirius XM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation, and heard on Volume Channel 106 every day, Monday through Friday, live 2 to 4 Eastern. There's nightly replays 10 to midnight Eastern, and audio and video on demand on the app. So as I always tell you, if you're in the U.S. or Canada, I really hope you join me for the daily show And get involved and hear it every day because, honestly, I can't stress enough, you are getting a tiny fraction of what I generate every week in interviews and talk and calls with my audience here on the podcast. Uh, This podcast is for folks who don't have Sirius or XM. Uh, If you're in the U.S., hopefully it convinces you to come on board or in Canada for that matter. And obviously people outside of the U S or Canada, you can't get Sirius or XM. So this is another way to just share the content with everybody, but you're getting a tiny sample. And I got to tell you, uh, what I'm bringing you this week is pretty much the entire tribute to Pete way. And it features some people who immediately came to mind when I heard Pete passed, who I knew were big fans Joe Elliott of Def Leppard, Joe and I bonded over our love of UFO a long time ago. So Joe was a natural person for me to reach out to. And as you're about to hear in this tribute, he was brilliant as usual. Also, a guy whose name always came up as being hugely influenced by Pete Way was Nikki Six of Motley Crue. From the bass he played, the way he played on stage, to the way he dressed. Uh, immediately, when it was revealed Pete died, there were several people that said, Man, you know, Nikki Six, Nikki Six, Nikki Six. I reached out to Nikki. As you're about to hear, Nikki was nice enough to generate, uh, to donate his time to come on the air and talk about Pete Way. The other guy I think of all the time with UFO is Mike McCready from the band Pearl Jam. Years ago, Mike was on that metal show and Mike and I bonded over our mutual love of UFO. Mike McCready even has a UFO tribute band called Flight to Mars that plays a few times a year. You'll hear from Mike McCready in this show. And last but certainly not least, the man himself, speaking of influence, one of the most revered guitarists ever, that is Michael Schenker. Michael called in from his home in England to share some thoughts on his former bandmate Pete way. And all of these guys were awesome. You're going to hear all four of them in this podcast. Uh, if you already heard this when it aired and you have Sirius XM, here's another chance to revisit it. And for everybody else, please listen and enjoy. And you'll get a sense at just how important Pete way was to so many people and how unbelievably influential he was. And for me, You know, it really, really sucks because as such a big UFO fan, it's been a brutal run here, first losing Paul Raymond uh, last year, then losing Paul Chapman, a former member of the band, whose records I also absolutely love. And, of course, he passed away, I guess it was uh, a couple months ago now. And now Pete Way, who was not... Contrary to what people think, he was not currently in UFO at the time of his death. He had not been able to play in the band for about 15 years. He had major visa issues. Again, not to sugarcoat it. Pete had his problems and had his issues. But the one thing you hear about him constantly was sweetheart. Sweetheart of a guy, a wonderful guy, a kind guy, a nice guy. And I think that's pretty admirable, especially given the demons that he battled with substances. So you'll hear that reflected in these interviews as well. So we're going to take them, you know, as they come, we're going to roll right through and we're going to bring you four major guests, all celebrating the great Pete way of UFO. And I had always hoped and dreamed that one day we'd get one more strangers in the night reunion show. Now with Paul Raymond gone and Pete way gone, that obviously will not be possible, but uh, it's great to, to to remember Pete, and we touch on some of the stuff he did with Wasted, too, a band that I really, really loved also. So rest in peace, Pete Way. And oh, yeah, before we get to these interviews just here at the top of my open here on this podcast, I do also want to mention the passing of Frankie Benali, who was a dear friend, had been on my show many, many times, especially in recent times while he was battling pancreatic cancer. And I did two big interviews with him in the middle of his battles. And the way he took on that cancer and the way he handled himself throughout was simply remarkable. Frankie was a tremendous musician, a an even better person. I think I pretty much have known him since 1983 when he first started with Quiet Riot with Metal Health. And uh, I did do a big tribute to Frankie. And I actually broke the news of his death And that would have been a week ago Monday, or I'm sorry, a week ago Friday. It would have been last Friday because I had learned about his death from his wife the previous night. She said, we'd like you to put the news out. And I signed on to my Sirius XM show and basically let the world know that Frankie had passed away. And it was a very, very tough show. And and Regina, his wife, called in to it. Again, if you have Sirius or XM, hopefully you heard it. If not, it's on the app. And I hope you get a chance to listen to it because we had so many great callers and fans just calling in saying how much they loved Frankie and Quiet Riot and all the other work he did outside of Quiet Riot as well. Uh, He was a dear friend. He will be missed. My condolences to all the band members that he performed with, his family, his friends, his fans. Maybe at some point we will do more with Frankie and about Frankie. Like I said, I did dedicate an entire show to him. That aired on SiriusXM, and I hope you had a chance to hear that if you are in the U.S. or Canada and subscribe. So I did not want this uh, episode to go by without mentioning that. But this one features a lot of major artists, and I think you guys are going to enjoy it and learn a little more about Pete Way. Man, what a year 2020 has been, right? I mean, just absolutely horrendous with all the stuff everyone's dealing with. And then you throw on top of it some of our icons and heroes from our favorite bands Uh, passing away truly truly tragic so let's take a break we'll come back we'll start rolling through the interviews here on the eddie trunk podcast remembering pete way
2: well here we are on lockdown how are you it's booker of the perez hilton podcast with chris booker we get it we know you're bored we're still doing shows we're keeping you up to date with everything entertainment a little bit of relief from everything that's going on in the world you can get the show on Spotify, you can get it on your Apple Podcasts, or the Podcast One app. Whatever you do, download and subscribe and get the PHP, the Perez Hilton Podcast with Chris Booker, and everything that's entertainment will be covered.
3: Welcome back, everybody, to the Eddie Trunk Podcast, a special show remembering Pete Way, as was done on my XM radio show about a week and a half ago. Uh, we start off with Mike McCready guitarist of the band Pearl Jam. Such a huge UFO fan. He actually has a UFO tribute. Appreciate a few thoughts from Mike McCready. Here you go on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Mike, uh, been too long, man. I wish it was under better circumstances, but thanks for taking the time out for a few. I really appreciate it.
1: Uh, You got it, Eddie, man. It's been a long time. Sorry I haven't gotten back to you for a while. I've been so crazy these days. So anyways, I'm so sad about um, uh, Pete way dying. Of course, you know, it's just, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it.
3: Yeah. And, and one, one of these days when you, (laughs) yeah, when you have time, man, I'd love to just do a whole show with you. We could talk about anything, including UFO, but I know you're busy and it's crazy times for sure. But, but, uh, Mike, you know, for, for for you, for you talk, talk about the importance, you know, what's interesting for you. And you, you said this to me with text over text is that you and stone Often talked about yeah. Pete Way. Now, of course, you're a guitar player, but but Pete obviously made a huge mark on you as well. Beyond obviously where most people would look at when it comes to UFO for a guitar player, Shanker Shanker, Pete was a big mark on you too, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at, if I can go all the way back to my uh, the, my metal band Shadow, you know, that uh, we talked about with Rick and Chris Freil and back in those back in the early eighties, uh, somehow uh, our neighbor of ours had that strange the night record. And um, it might've been right around 1980, And it was just something about that record kind of changed my life in terms of, uh, I would, I remember just sitting back and putting that record on and I'd always put the record way across the room so I could see what they look like when you open it up. Cause it, it was <laughs> pixelated um, right. in the middle of it. So, <laughs> it was, um, but but that was, that's just one kind of memory of that. And I remember we used to actually just trade UFO pictures. Stone had a, uh, he was around that time too, around shadow. And he was, we we're all hanging out together back and then. He would, he had this Michael Shanker poster and I'll get the Pete way in a second that we all wanted. And so we would trade rock pictures back in the day when you're we like 15, 16, whatever. <laughs> and a lot of them were, you know, UFO with Pete way and Shanker in them. And, and, uh, it was just a big deal, but, but more than that it was the music, you know, and, and also the look, Pete way, had those stripy spandex. I wanted to have that look too. So I like, you know, that sounds so trivial, but it's, we thought they look cool as hell and we love their music. So, um, in terms of, you know, influence on us, you know, Pete was a great groovy bass player. He, he and Andy Parker just had a killer groove, you know, and if you listen to love, love the beginning of that song to, you know, anything off that live record, um, Or it's all, it's all that Andy and uh, Pete with that groove and then the killer singing and then the incredible guitar playing of Michael Shanker. So, yeah, I mean, I was aware of all that back when we were kids, you know, he was, uh, we, we all kind of like, you know, wanted all, all we wanted UFO to be bigger than they, you know, ever were. Yeah, I mean, that
3: to me, that's what's incredible about all this. I was just saying to the audience before you came on the air, no matter who you are, no matter what band, how big or small the band is, over the weekend, you saw so many people eulogize in some way, Pete, and talk about how important he was. And what I think is really interesting about that is you and I may be huge UFO fans, but let's be honest, they never... Became a household name. They never broke. They never went over that huge commercial hump. But the mark, and impact, and influence they had is undeniable. There's not a person in rock that didn't say something about Pete Way this weekend and what a what a mark he left.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's he's you know he's one of the he just had that cool style of playing bass and he was kind of a maniac. He jumped around on stage. I mean, I'm the only time I saw him was on the the the, the, sorry the Mechanics tour and it was after Shanker. Um, we all hung out, and me and Rick and all the guys in the shadow band, we, and we met him after the show, and he was a sweetheart and signed autographs for everybody. And I really liked that record mechanics, but, you know, of course I really loved the Shanker-era stuff, but that was never going to come back. And had that, maybe he stayed that route, maybe they would have gotten as, as big as, as you know, Van Halen and all the bands we had wanted them to be, and, and including Thin Lizzy in that. They should have been bigger too, oh, you know? Yeah. So oh, yeah. those, the, anyways, it was very sad to hear that he had passed and like you, I remember you were wanting to see this, uh, as I was this, this reunion of all these guys, uh, <laughs> you know, with Shanker and Pete way and the, the original lineup, but it's, you know, just sad that it can't happen.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, I had literally dreamed that uh, of that one last time. Uh, of a stranger show and i've talked i talked to them about it and i mean that with all respect to the current lineup of the band because i really do love it and they made some great music with vinnie moore and all that Moore
1: is a killer guitar player for sure yeah yeah Yeah, but i sure you know no doubt
3: but and I had hoped they'd do something with Chapman because I love the Chapman records and and just in the last year and a half we've lost Paul Raymond, Paul Chapman, yeah. and now Pete on Friday. It's just it's just horrible as a UFO fan. Uh,
1: uh, Mike, did you ever meet Pete Way? Uh, I well, yeah, I just we we, oh, that, we met that Pete time Way, in the mechanic store. Yeah, around the Man- Mechanics mechanic store after the show, and um, you know, it was a great show. I love the I like the record Wild Willie and Innocent and the Mechanics record. Um. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a chance to see them when they came through with Shaker. I don't even know if they came to Seattle on that tour, um, or would I have been old enough to go see it? But yeah, I did meet him and he was real nice to us. He signed our autographs for us. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was really cool. You know, of course you're meeting your heroes and you're like, man, I hope they're cool. And, you know, clearly he was, he was like, you know, he's a seventies rock star, you know, he partied, he was cool looking and they, he was in a, a really cool band and, um, All of them had their, you know, Phil Mogg had his incredible voice uh, and um, and, and certainly Michael Shanker was undeniably one of the best guitar players around and still is. But he, you know, stuff like Arbury Hill and uh, I love that kind of stuff. I'm going to not go off on a Shanker tangent right now, but, you know, (laughs) all of those guys together made made that era of, uh, you know, phenomenon and um, uh, that that era of records were, were pretty incredible you know, and, and should have been bigger, but we're also a huge influence on a lot of people in Seattle. And, uh, you know, we hadn't talked about that a lot, you know, Stone and I were very into UFO.
3: Yeah. You know, and I've got some interviews coming up after you today and, and there's th- those, some of them are pre-recorded, So I know what's coming up, but Joe Elliott right. makes the case that, the, uh, the run of UFO records from phenomenon forward through like that early 80s stuff is one of the best runs of catalog top to bottom great records that, regardless of lineup changes that you could almost make in, in music history. He said it's, and he's right. If you go phenomenon yeah. through like, for my taste, making contact, I mean, it they're, the, the songs are just consistently amazing. And Pete had a big role in that too, because I don't think people realize that Pete, did contribute to the songwriting of UFO, and he also was a producer. I mean, he produced Twisted Sister's first record. He was he did some other things that people aren't fully aware of, but uh, you right. know, he played he a huge
1: the role. first record, that's right. I remember that. Yeah, under he the, did under, under the, blade. the blade, right? Yeah, yeah. I and, remember and, getting that record when it came out because he produced it. I just forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, he had wasted with the guy Finn, and that that was a pretty cool record. I remember that record came out. We all love Vices. that. Um,
3: Amazing record, Vices is.
1: Yeah, yeah, Vices, right? Yeah, yeah. Ugh, it's been so long, but um, anyway, sorry. Uh, yeah, he, he as a songwriter. You know, if you listen to Cherry, it starts off with a bass, or yeah, it's just uh, UFO uh, with with Pete Way. You know, in that lineup again, or any of those lineups. You know, they're very integral in the in the my learning of how to, how to be in a rock band and things like that. And Joe Elliott's right. Those records are fantastic. You know, that's right around the time I got into Def Leppard. I was into them and we went and saw them in 82 with Pete Willis at the, at the Moore theater, you know, waiting out all day to see that show. That was a great show. So uh, along with those guys, new, Wave, new wave of the British heavy metal UFO was a little before that, but that was a big thing on me learning how to play guitar. that, that whole era yeah
3: and michael when and the interview I've coming up with Shanker that I recorded yesterday uh, Michael brings cool. up a great point too about he said that in his view, everybody looked at him as being sort of the star of u f o as the guitar player, and needless to say, Michael's impact is enormous, but from Michael's vantage point, being in the band, he said he always looked as at to Pete as being the the star of the band because he said when they played live, as great as Phil is. As a lyricist and singer, and as great as Michael is, he said it was really Pete that worked the stage and would really almost direct things up there in the way he moved. And he said that was a really important element that Pete brought because there he was the motion. He was sort of the ringleader up there. Right. And he's totally right. Even if you look at old UFO videos, I sent you an old bootleg clip I found yeah, I on, on YouTube it, the Brad. other day. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing to see just Pete bringing that energy and that giant bass and that neck coming out and just the way he's stomping around. <laughs> yeah, the,
1: the old Thunderbird bass. Yeah, and he yeah. would jump, but he can keep the groove while doing all that. That's the most important part. It's like you can run around and be a great showman, but you've got to be able to, if you're playing bass, you got to be, you know, keep the groove so the rest of the song can be, you know, that, that can be incredible. Like, again, if you listen to Rock Bottom on Strangers of the Night, it's just fucking the groove is endless on that and then shanker just does the most beautiful solo on that um and uh it can, i can go on forever in terms of that record but um yeah i didn't realize he was that but in terms of like michael shanker saying that that's pretty pretty cool but you can see it in those pictures Pete's jumping all around you know he's into yeah, no, it he's a, fucking no a doubt. 70s rock star you know what i mean like like what yeah everything you wanted in a rock star as a kid growing up in the 70s i did you know way was in it <laughs> and Shanker yeah. and UFO and, and Lizzie in that era, you know?
3: Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Mike, I won't keep you much longer, but before I let you go, did, uh, so if, if someone's listening to this, And they don't. And because I run into this constantly in my screaming about UFO and praising UFO on TV radio for decades now, people say to me, I don't really know that band. Where do I start? What What do I listen to? What do I get that would show me why everybody from Mike McCready to Nikki Six to Steve Harris are are screaming about UFO? Where would you direct them, Mike? Where would you tell them to jump in?
1: You know, as, as we were talking, I, I have to say Strangers of the Night, because that's yeah. kind of the best versions of those songs that are on the studio record, in my mind, because the energy there shows you how incredible UFO were live, and it's, it, it's, it's what it, as a young guitar player, I would listen to that record over and over and over and over again because it was so intriguing and so well-recorded, and they just kicked ass, you know? Um, I would say start with rock bottom, you know, and then go to I'm a loser. If you want to get kind of a, in a great example of how it could be a really kind of a pretty in, in, intro and then it can just rock out from there. But I go with stranger in the night. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have that thing too, because I have, like you said, my flight to Mars UFO tribute band. And I always, I remember early on kind of trying to explain to people, like, well, this is UFO and this is blah, 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 blah. And then after a while in Seattle, like, we started getting a lot more people coming out to the shows that were just like us, you know, like you and me, I'd like, we go, oh, that knew about UFO and, and embraced it and loved it. And then, uh, and so there are, we're out there, you know, but start with Strangers of the Night. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I tell people that all the time, and my probably my all time favorite from that would be "Love to Love" because I think "Love to Love" yeah. encompasses everything that's UFO in six seven minutes, from the power to the melody to the vocal to the guitar to uh, someone else. I forget what interview I have coming up makes the case. No, no hard rock man has ever utilized keyboards more, a uh, better than ufo where it didn't get in the way of the power of the band it didn't get cheesy or overbearing it was just there for texture and it was the perfect balance and i think something i mean look strangers to me is is my favorite live album of all time but the the that on that record uh love to love if, if i had a gun to my head for one song it's that song it's just that says it all to me
1: I agree with that. I mean, the, the intro to that song is so incredible, and like you said, the keyboards is so are, ma- are kind of magical. And but the intro and the crazy, there's a like weird timing to the beginning of that song that that let Pete and Andy Parker bring the groove. That uh, I had to learn with my Flight to Mars band with Tim to Julia. Like, how do they do that beginning? It's so weird, you know. And then it goes into the you know, spend too many times. It's just the lyrics are so beautiful about being on the road, and you know, I can relate to all that. And it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a it's a movie within itself, that song' love to love, and uh, I want to see that all the time. yeah,
3: it really is well, listen man I, I appreciate you giving me a few minutes here today. I really do, and hopefully we can we can catch up Let's on a bunch of other fronts we can and do more stuff. yeah, shoot yeah. the shit at some point. you're doing well, your family's good, everything's cool, your health is good
1: My health is good we're you know we're 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 being as as safe as we possibly can be, and washing our hands and wearing a mask, and you know I've just been. Playing a lot of guitar and trying to be a dad and just doing all that stuff. So I'm, you know, ready to want to play music again someday with my with my guys. But who knows when that's going to happen? You know, I know. Someday. I know. it's totally someday crazy. Again, man, it'll happen.
3: And I know. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm confident it will too. I'm not sure when, but fingers crossed, we'll be seeing Pearl Jam, Flight to Mars, everybody out there on the road playing somebody. Man, somehow. I don't <laughs> want to see anybody.
1: Black Double <laughs> Motorcycle Club, all those, everybody. You know, all and right.
3: not in a drive-in <laughs> yeah. and not on a Zoom. Actually, in a room, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm no <laughs> Yeah. For sure. All right. Well thanks. I can't I look forward to listening to this and hearing everybody else. So.
3: Yeah, we got Shanker coming up. We got Nikki Six coming up. We got Joe Elliott coming up, Please. so it's gonna be a good one. We're gonna do a nice tribute here to Pete and I appreciate you being part of it, Mike. Thank you so much. Take care, okay?
1: Say hi to Nikki Six for me. He's a local Seattle guy. So anyway. There you go. <laughs> All right. All right. Take man. care, man. Later. Okay. Bye bye. Right, thanks. thanks, Eddie. See ya. Bye.
3: Thanks to Mike McCready. Appreciate him checking in and sharing his thoughts and love of Pete way and UFO. Next up, we will be joined by Nikki six of Motley crew. This is the Eddie trunk podcast. Eddie trunk back with you on this week's Eddie trunk podcast. Nikki Six right now, a guy that many people talked about the amazing impact Pete Way had on him. Nikki gives us some thoughts about that remembering Pete Way right now on the Eddie Trunk podcast. Nikki, good to talk to you. I wish it was under better circumstances, but um yeah. Your, your thoughts about pete you know i've i've seen a lot of people mention your name and talk about the influence he had on you but i've never really heard you talk about it too much can you can you elaborate a little bit on the impact he did have on you as a musician and a bass player
2: I, there were these bands that you know i was drawn to the bass and there were these bands that meant so much to me like Aerosmith in the beginning and um, UFO, um, uh, Mata Hoople, you know, and a lot of these bass players used, uh, a Gibson Thunderbird. And that was the bass I thought was like the Holy grail of basses. So I was kind of drawn to these bands and then I was drawn to bass, but that was the solidifying thing. Like Pete, played the thunderbird he had the best bass lines and the music was exactly what i needed at that time in my life and the uh, teaching me to be a better songwriter and what to do with the bass Uh, but again it also weaves in with that gibson thunderbird it's kind of interesting i I posted a picture on my instagram that ross had posted and it was this classic picture of pete with this beautiful tobacco sunburst um, Thunderbird. And I had the same exact bass. And there were so many things about Pete that um, I, I enjoyed as a, as a bass player, but also his presence. He had a bigger than life presence. And UFO, I mean, at their peak with Shanker and, and Pete and, and Phil Mogg and stuff, Those, that was a powerhouse band that I think didn't become one of the biggest bands in the world because they just imploded. And part of that implosion was drug and alcohol uh, use and getting to know Pete as a, as a, not only as a musician, but as a friend was really telling of a lot of things that would come true in my life uh, when, uh, Motley crew and wasted with Pete played with Ozzy. That was like our first big arena tour. We'd done, I think six dates with kiss before that. Um, I really got to know Pete and I, I remember seeing Pete doing things after he had, uh, been through what I would then become myself, which was drug addiction, you know? And I, I watch how Pete kind of, you know, struggled with that and talked to me about like what it was like to try and be sober after spending his life, like rocking out, you know, partying, that's what we all do. Uh, and then trying to do it straight. And then years later, after I got clean and sober talking to Pete about that and telling him, I you know, I appreciate that he shared those um those experiences personal personal experiences we got to hang out a lot a lot of shenanigans a very funny guy um very witty sense of humor and i'm gonna miss him it was it was a a shock to be honest with you because i know mike clink was working on a record and pete had pete had asked me to contribute and, and, and I, I said I would, and me and Mike talked a couple times, and then just everything got crazy with, uh, you know, The Motley World and the movie, and then I kind of, the coronavirus, and I, uh, when I saw that Pete passed away, I was like, oh, my God, I, I, we never got around to contributing, whatever that would have been, lyrically, or I don't think I would be playing bass. Maybe he'd have me play some rhythm guitar. So I don't know, but w- I was more than willing to do it not only because he was a big influence, just because he was a really good guy. He really was a good guy. Yeah, that's... Almost too soft, you know what I mean? There's some guy, he was just so sweet that I think this this life just got to him in a lot of ways.
3: Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing and you know talking to all of these people and, I, and many people know I absolutely worshiped UFO and 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 Pete and and what, you know, his music and what that band meant to me growing up. And it's a shame because they like you said they never became a household name really in America unless you're a big hard rock guy, but the influence was so huge and one of the people that I'm talking to, I've talked to during this special is Michael Schenker and he brought up to me what you just said about the state performance aspect of what it was too like on stage he was larger than life and Michael said to me he goes "As, as much as people thought I was sort of like the star of UFO he goes I actually never saw it that way he said I saw Pete as the star of UFO he really directed things he goes right down to like when we were playing in the 70s if the spotlight wasn't on the right person he'd come over and it was on him at the wrong time he said he'd come over to like where I was taking a solo to make sure that light moved to me he goes he was he mm-hmm. was and he goes And phil mogg as great of a singer as he is wasn't a big time frontman that moved around a lot he said so pete really right. anchored that role in ufo which yeah. i thought was some real interesting points
2: yeah i can i can see that clearly it's cool hearing that from michael
3: did when was the first time you saw ufo Nikki?
2: i mean i never got to see that band live um I found them in, like, 74, I think, the Phenomenon record. Me and my friends stumbled across across that, and that just led to, you know, everything else. You know, all those other albums that came after it that were just, you know, pretty mind-blowing. Think about their albums almost in order. Um, I can't think of them right now, but they they really didn't disappoint. There was, like, a five-album run there where every single song was unbelievable and you know phil phil's a really interesting case study as a a lyricist limited amount of range a very unique tone and and you can find that magic combination uh in in a lot of bands you know that that whether it was like a bond scott he had like this range and he had his own sound and he lived in that you know i think vince does that as well and phil does that and Sometimes a lot of the, the singers that we all love, like, you know, uh, you know, from Deep Purple and Coverdale and, and Glenn Hughes and stuff. It, I think when the singer doesn't have that wide of a range, it kind of becomes a little easier for those guitars and the bass and drums to all like explode out. I don't know if that makes sense, but it was just, you know, when you listen to some of that UFO stuff, it's like there's that backbeat with Pete the drums and then there's that the michael riffs are like unbelievable but in a pocket and then phil just delivers the mail it's like it's like butter man it's so that what a great band yeah what a great band
3: and you know what's interesting and you can speak to this from the addiction aspect of things clearly but obviously for pete and it's something that's come up i mean as much of a sweetheart as he was uh he, he just couldn't couldn't kick those demons and it cost him a lot throughout the course yeah. of his career. But the one thing that unanimously everybody says that knew him or met him or had experiences with him, sweetheart. That's the biggest word that comes yeah. up. Sweetheart. And you know, from I've never done drugs, but you know, I find that pretty interesting because most people that have had serious addictions throughout their career, you hear stories about the times that they were like huge dicks to people because they were out of their minds. Yeah. But it seems like no matter what was going on with Pete highs or lows, whatever drug he was or wasn't on, he unanimously was just really, really sweet to people. And that's the one thing that's really coming out from everyone I talk to.
2: He was more of a passive character. So he was like, very mellow, not confrontational. And if he was, you know, lit up and I've seen him that way and I've seen him sober, he just was just nice. Like he didn't want to start fights. He didn't want to talk bad about people. He didn't want to cause any kind of ruckus. He was just kind of in, in, in that groove. And, and it's, you know, you see a lot of guys that have type A or type AA personalities, and they get lit up, and you know they light the house on fire. I guess those guys are necessary too, but in the big picture, but Pete Pete wasn't wasn't that guy at all. The other thing I wanted to say about Pete, my conversations with him, everything mattered. The 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 bass mattered, the way it sounded, but the way the bass looked. The uh, the stage clothes, you know, what, wh- how you look, how your hair was cut, what the lighting was like, what the album cover looked like. like. He cared about all that stuff, and and that's like important for anybody that's like starting out and coming up, or even people that are up and in, in it. You know, really keep your eye on every single element of it, and if you if you have good taste, that gets just transferred right over to the fans. I mean, look at some of those those UFO album covers and some of the artwork that they, they put together for, to go with the music. It, it took us like, do you think about phenomenon? Like it, it just kind of took you to another place that rock bands weren't, they took the UFO concept and ran with it. And it's, it's pretty cool. Pete was behind a lot of that.
3: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I don't want to hold you too long. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to speak on Pete and be a part of this. But the one thing I did want to ask you, you mentioned that tour with Wasted. And I actually mm-hmm. went went to a bunch of those shows. I actually did a part in the show once with Ozzy when it played in New Jersey. But I remember that, Bill, very clearly. You guys, I have photos from backstage with you guys and Wasted and Ozzy and the whole thing. It was an amazing tour. And I love that yeah. Wasted record that they were supporting, yeah. this record called Vice it's a, For people that don't know, a lot of this is about UFO, deservedly so, but Wasted, especially that Vice's record, which is like a loud, dirty, hard rock record. I listen to yeah. it all the time. So for you, at that point, Motley, just starting out in the early part of your career, not only are you yeah. on tour with Ozzy, but being a fan of Pete's and UFO, you guys must have shared some some great stories and great moments on that run. That had to be a big thrill for you as a young guy.
2: I mean, it was it was a huge drill and I would watch Pete, you know, I'd stand on the side of the stage and I'd, I'd watch him, you know, I'm like, what's, what's, how's he doing that? How's he commanding such stage presence? And, um, you know, I, I just always believe the bass player is just not the guy that stands in the back. Kind of like Tommy's like, I'm not just the drummer that sits in the back. We, these type of personalities are, you know, kind of toes on the edge of the stage and I was watching Pete, but Pete didn't do it the way I did it. I'm, I was like in people's face. Pete was like kind of this shining star, like on the stage and you were watching him. He wasn't really attacking you. He was like, I don't know, man, he had his own groove, his own way of moving his own style. And it was, it was really cool to watch. He was a great bass player, by the way, you know, let's not forget that. I mean, yeah. those UFO albums and stuff that he did with waste on this, it's really great rock and roll, and Pete. You can't listen to a UFO song and go, uh, the, the the bass doesn't matter. You know, the bass actually, bass lines were woven in with with all those great guitar riffs, and I think that that and Phil's voice gave him such a unique style.
3: Oh yeah, be missed, man. Oh yeah, man. I loved his playing, and you know, Mike Clink sent me a statement. Uh, just just uh, yesterday, and we talked a, a little bit. And you know, they, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that record they were working on. But Clink loved uh, loved Pete and was very excited to be doing something with him creatively. And hopefully, there's a way they can salvage that record and put out some sort of final musical statement. Last thing, mm-hmm. Nikki, everybody I talked to <laughs> with a smile has a story everybody's got a pete story of some sort of craziness mm-hmm. or excess or something they saw or something that made them laugh or something that shocked them is there anything even maybe from that wasted tour or any other experiences that you might be able to share as far as a pete story
2: you know when you're nikki six you're coming up and you you know i had some years in the late 70s and in los angeles playing and cutting my my teeth so to speak and then you know early Motley and then there we are out on the road and, and we, we were feeling a little little cocky and kinda like, you know, we've seen everything, but really we've only seen everything in LA. Pete, on the other hand, had seen everything around the world <laughs> multiple times. So Ozzy throws on a dress for no apparent reason <laughs> and I said to Pete, Oh, did you see Ozzy's he's in an a dress? And Oz and Pete said, Oh, that again <laughs> <laughs> and rolled his eyes and walked off it was like oh i just saw ozzy in a dress he's like i've seen that a hundred times you're green you're green
3: great stuff mickey let's talk again under better circumstances man i hope you're enjoying uh your family is safe everybody's doing well and you're enjoying your time there in uh in wyoming right
2: yeah yeah we've moved up to wyoming and it's it's fantastic. It's great for the creativity and feel like all kinds of ideas are just floating around in the air. And, um, kind of like Keith Richards said, you know, we, he said, you know, he does, he's never written a song. He just plays guitar all the time. And then the song just shows up. And that's kind of what it's like for me up here in Wyoming. I'm just writing and stuff's turning into possibly a, a book and stuff's turning into songs and and you don't know where it's going. And that's really exciting. And I feel like being back in Los Angeles, everything's about business. Like when's the deadline, when's rehearsal start? When's the tour start? When, 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 when. And I'm like, that's great. I understand, but I kind of need to step back and just let some creative juices flow and see, see what's in this old you know pirate i don't know maybe i don't have any more songs than me maybe i do only one way to find out so somehow, to so, be in a be in a place that's not so uh chaotic
3: yeah and and you can you texted me a picture the other day of a giant moose in your backyard you're not going to see that yeah. in la so you know, you no, you, that. well,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a whole other story all right i'll talk to you later be good
3: Eddie. thank Thanks. you man i appreciate it take care My thanks to Nikki Six. appreciate him taking some time out and joining us on the podcast and uh, celebrating and remembering the great Pete Way. Okay, let's get to our next interview. Uh, This is a guy who is such a great rock fan and I always think of with some of our mutual favorite bands to call on a guy who was friends with Pete Way. Him and his band had big history with Pete Way. I'm talking about Joe Elliott of Def Leppard. He's next here on this special dedication to Pete Way, joe i wish we were talking under better circumstances but thank you for the time
4: yeah you're welcome i'd rather not be doing it either because um yeah it's incredibly sad i've got to be honest it, it's not like a massive surprise but it, i'm surprised at the way it happened because pete's been living to his life to excess for so long um i think everybody thought he'd outlive keith you know um and turns out that it was you know, it was nothing to do with anything that, you know, nocturnal activities that he's uh, so, got such a, an amazing reputation of surviving. But, um, yeah, he, he was such a lovely guy, you know. I mean, I've known Pete for a long time. I'm trying to think. The first time I ever met Pete was 1979 on what would have been the nowhere uh, uh, no no, nowhere to Run to No Place maybe? to Run.
3: No Place to Run. No Place
4: to Run, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. No Place to Run. When Tonka had just come in, and Girl were opening for UFO, and they played the Sheffield City Hall, and I went to see Phil. Uh, really, I mean, I went to see the band, but I was I was hoping I would not meet meeting Phil because I've been reading about this band Girl in in the English press, and we knew about each other and stuff, and I knew that they were we were mutual friends of UFO, so it was a no-brainer to go to the gig. But um, I think Phil probably introduced me to Pete Way that night and uh, he was such a lovely guy, you know, he was, takes you straight under his wing, no messing around, no airs and graces, none of this, I'm a rock star, you're nobody. He, everybody was the same to Pete. Everybody was, didn't matter whether it be Robert Plant or a guy who yet to get a record deal, he treated everybody the same, and that was one of his more endearing qualities, really. He was such a genuine person.
3: Yeah, that's the one thing that everyone is saying. I mean, The biggest word you hear when people talk about Pete Way, beyond the stories of the excess and the craziness. And I often did call him the Keith Richards of bass because I thought he would be that kind of guy as well. But the one word you hear consistently is "sweetheart." And what's interesting about what you just said, Joe, is the context. Seventy nine, Leopard is far from rock stars anywhere in the world at that point. And for him to you know to, to be like that to you, it wasn't like you were coming to him as the Joe Elliott hysteria, Joe Elliott, where everybody knew you. So that, you know to have a warm reception, I would think, would be really important for you as a as a kid just trying to get going with your band.
5: Uh,
4: absolutely. The fact is that, you, you know, when you when you think back with some context, um, we would have both been people that read the the weekly magazine Sounds, uh, which Jeff Barton wrote a lot about, you know, British rock music, and well, any kind of rock music. Huge Kiss fan, a big Nugent fan, but he supported British bands and bands like UFO, for example, he really pushed. And between him and Ross Alfin, UFO seemed to be on the you know, in the magazine every other week really. And we were starting to break and I know that Pete would have read about us purely because of the connection to Ross Alfine and Jeff Barton, who he knew as well. So we were reading about this band that we knew and loved, and he was reading about this up and coming band that were like, Oh, who's this lot? you know. So he knew we existed but and so that possibly you could you could Argue that was why he was so nice, but I would disagree with that. I would say that he was just—he would have been like that if I'd have just been some kid that walked in off the street. You know, he—he he didn't have that kind of ego. He just right. didn't. You know, I've never—I've spent a lot of time with Peter. I've never seen him. I never really—I never saw him get angry. I mean, I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm sure Phil Mock will argue. Yeah, well, you never spend twenty-two hours a day with him, uh, which I never—I did on a few occasions, but not in, in the way that say being in a band with him would have been. But um, when, when you were with him as a, as a friend, you know, the way that, say, Bon Scott was, or myself, or Phil, or Phil Linnett, or anybody that knew him, Lemmy, all these people that knew Pete Way over the years, he was the guy that, for example, like Lemmy, he was the guy that a lot of the punks would have actually said, he's okay, he's, be, he's okay. Whereas they would have shunned a, a Uriah Heep, or they would have shunned <laughs> a Zeppelin or whatever. They wouldn't have shunned Pete Way because he would have come across as a bit of a punk, you know. And in fact, he did produce a band called the Cockney Rejects um, or Cox Sparrow, I think it was, who were a hardcore punk band. Mm. And he was, he was the producer of one of their albums. So I know he was accepted um, into the fold in more than just what you might call classic rock music.
3: Yeah, I I spoke to Nikki Six about that, actually, because, uh, you know, Nikki having a huge history of addiction and drug problems, of course, it has been well documented. I I said the, the crazy thing about Pete is the word you hear most with about Pete beyond all the funny stories is is the is sweetheart, just a wonderful guy, always a wonderful, sweet guy. And that's even more fascinating to me up against the fact that there are times he was clearly impaired and you hear stories about people being very angry when they're like that or fans meeting, uh, meeting you and then not having a good experience because you weren't together or what have you. But you don't hear, nobody ever has those stories about Pete. It's always, oh, what a sweet guy. And uh, it's amazing he was able to maintain that through whatever he was going through at whatever given time.
4: No, trust me. I've been in situations with Pete where he actually couldn't stand up, you know. But he was still always a decent person, and he had a sense of humor through it all. You know, I mean, there's been many a time. I remember when we toured um, the UK with White Snake in 2009. I think it was. Um, Pete came to see us in Birmingham and, and cleared our dressing room with every drink, but he blamed it on his wife. <laughs> 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 but he did it in such a way. It was like watching. It was like watching, uh, you know, uh, some classic comedian doing this, sorry about the wife, mate, you know, she just turned around and looked and went, how dare you, you know, (laughs) because he just had this arsenal of humor, you know, that he could just pull on, you know. But he was such a sweetheart. I mean, when I moved to London in 1981, I only lived maybe 15 minutes from Pete, who lived out uh, near Twickenham. And um, we met somewhere, probably a UFO gig in London. And uh, he's, you know, we swapped numbers and I went round to his house to hang with him, and this became a regular habit, you know. And I remember babysitting for his daughter, Charlotte, when she was barely, you know, less than a year old. Because him and, and his then-wife, Jo, were like, we're just going to nip down the off-license and get some beer. So we just keep an eye on the kids, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, at least they were responsible in that respect. Right. You know, but, I mean, there's so many great stories. I remember my one of the funniest stories I ever heard about, Pete, was nothing to do with me, me at all, but it was ross that told me, ross Alfie told me the story of some you know early ufo tour maybe 74 75 76 he actually said to his wife he says uh me a minute love. i'm just dipping down the shop to get a paper and he just jumped into a van and went on tour for six weeks <laughs> 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 you know cuz i think he didn't have the art to tell you, but he probably just got home from an eight month run and then all of a sudden the manager said we're going back out, and he, he didn't have the art or the nerve to tell us, so he, he just snuck off on so This was Pete way down to a tee, you know, I mean, lovely, lovely guy.
3: Yeah, and and that's where the, everybody has those great stories, and everybody has been generous enough to share them with me. Joe, did, did uh, Leopard and UFO ever tour together? Did you guys ever work together on the stage?
4: Well, uh, once. Once. In 1981... 1980 or, yeah, 81, I think it was. We were opening for Richie Blackmore's Rainbow and we did a festival with them somewhere in the Basque area, San Sebastian, maybe, of Spain. And because it was a festival, we were included in this festival, but other bands were too, and UFO were on just before we went on. So it was Rainbow, UFO, Def Leppard and then somebody on underneath us. Um, and we, uh, so, of course, you know, that was with, again, we never toured with the Schenker lineup, but we we did a uh, we did the one show when uh, when Tonka was in the band, um, but you know and, and of course by then I knew Pete. You know what I mean. So to see him in that environment, it was just a case of like when you, anybody turns up at festivals, and you, you've been around a bit or you've met these people before, you can't wait to start leaping into each other's dressing rooms to say how you doing and all this kind of thing. You know, and, and Pete was the one guy that I knew really well. I I, I remember once. When they played the city, probably the same night that uh, Girl and UFO played the city all in Sheffield in 79, they actually invited us back to the hotel, um, a hotel that we knew very well, of course, so it was easy to, you know, it's like, well, they stayed at the Hallam Towers Hotel in Sheffield, and Pete, you know, invited us up there, we were all sat there in the bar, myself, Pete, Andy Parker, um, Paul Raymond, um, I don't think Moggy was there, actually, but, um you know, and we were just, again, we were guests of theirs at the table, I mean, been but all included together. It was, and obviously I think, you know, Phil Colin would have been there, maybe Jerry Laffey, possibly Phil Lewis. It was just one of those everybody together kind of moments. My hometown and a, a, a kind of a, a, a band, not rival band like Girl, but, you know, coming up at the same time as us. Um, and we were just kind of getting a no. And both of us, being in awe of the fact that we were in the company of this band that we'd been listening to for five years or so. I was I was introduced to UFO on the probably the second day of my day job when I left school and I got a gig in this factory. A friend of mine, who I'm still friends with now, called Colin, I, I bonded with him because the first thing we discovered was we both liked music. He'd never heard of Montrose, and I'd never heard of UFO. This is August 75. So I loaned him the first Montrose album, and he lent me Phenomenon. And as soon as you hear Doctor, Doctor, you're off, you know, I mean, it's like, wow, you know, oh, my, and all, you know, some some great songs on, on that album, Um, Crystal Light, another favorite of mine, great drink, but a better song, (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, you know, they, um, from that moment onwards, I was, I was hooked, you know, and of course, by 75, I'm just getting to know the first album, so almost instantly oh there's another one as well, Fawcett was out. So and then within about, you know, six months of that, we're into seventy six and then there's no heavy petting. So all of a sudden in a space, in space of eighteen months I've got three UFO albums. And I you know, they they were to a sibling Def Leopard as important as anything that we ever said as uh, as an influence. You know, what came through in our music was probably more Lizzie ish because of the two guitar things. But the actual melodies, the lyrics, the, the, the stance, the, the, the overall impression that UFO gave as a band, they were they were above and beyond all the other bands in their league, I think. You know. They weren't maybe up there with the Zeppelins and the Sabbaths, it was a different kind of music really. But once they got Schenker on board, UFO's major strength for me was, was Phil Mogg's lyrics. Pete Way's songwriting which allowed Michael Schenker's guitar playing to, to to flourish. Because when you listen to songs like Too Hot to Handle, they're obviously Pete Way songs that give Schenker room to spread his wings. They're not all riffs. You know, if you listen to Michael once he went solo, the songs were very different in structure to the ones he played on a UFO album. So you can hear Pete's influence, you know, in, in that kind of commercial pop rock, vein that, that, that they were kind of uh, mining at the time because as much as they were a rock band with your rock bottoms and your doctor doctors when you listen to things like only you can rock me that's like classic pop rock right there it's, you know when I say pop rock I don't mean as in a pop band I mean songs that would cross over and possibly become hit singles but still maintain their rock face if you like you know they were very few and far between as an English kid we had one Top 40 station, so we had things like Radar Love, You Ain't Seen Nothing Yet, Hold Your Head Up, God Gave Rock and Roll to You, all the Mott singles and the Queen singles, but it was like only a few rock bands that had a hit, and UFO were writing songs that could have been hit, and you know, long before they had their first one, you know, because Pete, I think as a, as a, as a musician, he wasn't Jacko Pastorius by a long way, but as a writer, of, a, a riff creator, and you could hear this as well later on in, in like Wasted. Um, there's a song on the Vices album called "Love Loaded,"
6: yeah, which great. is
4: classic Pete Way, you know. And uh, that that was his strength. It was was he was able to arrange a song or bring chords forward for a, a song, and that would enable a guitarist to really go to town on.
3: Yeah, I've I brought up that Vices record by Wasted. I think that is a fantastic, big, loud. Dirty rock record, Hot Love and all that stuff. It's so good. I, I listen to that record still all the time. And, you know, Nikki Six made the point, and it's true, if you look at that string of UFO records, starting with Shanker, and I would argue right through the Chapman years, it's maybe one of the greatest runs of, of albums, the material Top to bottom is 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 so incredibly strong, and the other thing that 's come up in all this, Joe, is the big word is influence, and it 's interesting to me because again uFO didn 't get over that huge hump and become that household name and that mega band that they should have become, but they made a mark, and you can see that just in the news of Pete dying the the amount of people who have come out. Uh, and said the influence that the band has had and Pete specifically has had on them is, is remarkable. It really is. I mean, on this show alone, I'm going to have, you know, Mike McCready from Pearl Jam and yourself and, and Nikki Six and all these different guys. And, and the influence and impact is really pretty amazing when you think that at least here in America, the amount of commercial success was very marginal.
4: Indeed, and when you just mentioned the three people there, it's not like all our three bands, multi Def Leppard, Pearl Jam, sound the same. You know what I mean? It's not right. like they can influence you and you go off in your own direction. You know, it's interesting the parallel you say about the run that they had, even through the, the Tonka years. That run of albums from when they signed to Chrysalis Records, you know, forget the stuff that was right,
3: yes. Prince
4: Kajuku kind right, of stuff. Right, but right. When they really got going properly for me, was phenomenal. To me, that, I would say, is like the first real album. Agreed. I can draw a big parallel between the first, say, five uh, UFO albums and the first five ACDC albums, as in, did she the progress? I think the only difference is they never had a back in black like ACDC did. You know, I mean, to me, we kept seeing progress and it was beautiful. You know, I discovered the first three albums. They were getting, and this is from a, a English perspective, by the way. you got to remember, like I said, we had a, a Top 40 station, which did a rock show on a Friday night for two hours and then on a Saturday afternoon, which is where you discover bands like UFO or, or the fact that they had a new record there. Um, the progress from each record was it was great to see, as a fan, you're cheering them on. you know. All of a sudden, you're reading in sounds that they, they release lights out, and it's starting to get traction in America. And even though I think it only got to like number 22 in the Billboard charts, it seemed to us, back in the UK, that that was an enormous step for a British band to make. And like, it was onwards and upwards from there. And then when in 78 comes around, and they release uh, Obsession, and then they start having hits, and you're thinking, this is going to go... Massive, you know, they're going to become a huge band, you know. But the, the difference being, you know, Shanker quit, and it kind of it, it toppled the dynamic a little bit. Whereas when Bond died and and Jonna took over, somehow that worked beyond everybody's wildest imagination, and poss- possibly because having Mutt Lang on board gave it um, an edge with Ron Nevison. It, they didn't use Ron again after the live album, you know. Uh, so whatever relationship they had with him wasn't the same as, say, Mutt Lang's was with with uh, ACDC. So it's a shame, really, that they never got to make their, even their Highway to Hell because Obsession was a big record in England, but I want to say big top ten. He wasn't number one for six weeks. And I don't know how much impact it made in America beyond all the musicians. UFO. A little bit like, I read stories all the time about everybody that bought a Velvet Underground album became a band, joined a band, or formed a band. Because, you know, Velvet Underground's highest chart position was something like 175. But everybody loves them That that's indie, right? UFOs seem to have the same effect within rock. So that's why I think you've got me, all the Leopard guys, uh, Mike McQueedy, Nikki Six, Tesla huge ufo fan oh yeah brian is
3: brian is crushed right now that was his hero yeah i've been in touch i spoke to him
4: yesterday yeah Yeah. and you know i and also i think that the thing about ufo what they had that we all admired the most was that they had a keyboard player but it didn't make them sound like one of these American bands with a keyboard i'm not going to name names but you know what i mean yes they still had this edge um it was it was possibly an English thing I mean I wouldn't want to take credit for it being English <laughs> you know I, mean, I don't mean that I'm not trying to be you know jingoism here or anything like that but I think that I think there is a thing that it's like they were very influenced by the likes of the small faces and the kinks and stuff like that and they used keyboards but it didn't ever sound wimpy um and I and they they somehow managed to make that work really well and with songs like Love to Love, they could write great ballads that didn't sound wimpy either, you know, and Try Me off Lights Out and things like that. Um, they they wrote great, great songs. They really did. Um, Mog was the perfect frontman for a band like that. Pete Way was his, you know, his, his kind of foil, if you like, and, and Schenker was the flash thing on the outside delivering all the licks. But, you know, the anchor um, between the the drums and the front line, was Pete. And he was, as I said, it's not a common secret. It's not a secret that he wasn't the most fantastic bass player. But as we all know, in rock and roll, it's not important. It's not about how well you play, it's what you play.
3: Well, it had, an, it, had an, it had an attitude. And, you know, and, and yep. I loved his bass playing. And Nikki Six said that he thought he loved his bass playing because his bass lines were so interesting what he played and his approach to the instrument, where he wasn't going to be the bass player just hanging back by the drum riser. He was bringing it to you. And I think that's a big part of where the influence comes in as well on some of these guys.
4: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I'm not criticizing his bass playing. I'm just saying that I, I, compared to other bass of players, course. he didn't really care. Right. It wasn't like, I'm a great bass player. He was just a rock star in a band that happened to have a bass. Attitude. If, if banjos had have been the thing, he would have played a banjo. Yeah. <laughs> he, just, he was just the guy in the band that wrote songs. He could play acoustic. I know he could play the bass better than he ever did on stage, but when he went on stage, that wasn't his priority. His priority was the splayed legs, the striped trousers, the leaping off the drum riser, the guitar, five notches too low, which were, funnily enough, a huge influence on Steve Clark. Mm. You know, um, not the pants, but the, the, the string too low. Right. The cramps in the left hand that Pete nolly would have got were the same, the ones that Steve used to get. You know, it's a case of down the front, looking at the kids, communicating. He communicated through his entire body and soul, not just through a plank of wood hanging around his neck. And
3: you know, Mike, that was just, yeah. And Michael,
4: secondary part of his his character.
3: And I've also talked to Michael Schenker for this special about Pete, and Michael said to me that he felt the rock star of UFO. And the visual anchor on stage was Pete because he said, as great as Phil is, he never moved very much. And Michael would like to stand there and sort of plant up and, you know, flash everybody with the great riffs and the soloing. But he said it was really Pete that was the ringleader and kept things moving and brought that energy on stage. I thought that was great of Michael's. He's absolutely Michael right. He yeah. Has,
4: he's absolutely right. I don't think I ever saw Schenker move a muscle on stage.
6: Yeah.
3: Uh,
4: not the Bucky Boot that I remember with a flying V wedged between his legs. You can't really move once you're in that position with that yeah, guitar right. anyway.
6: Right. He was
4: there, o- air over his face, playing away. That in itself was, he didn't need to move. No. It was fantastic. Phil Mogg is a singer. This is pre-in-ears. So he's, with a, a, a rig like that next to him, he needs to be as close to his wedges as he can, so he's not going to move around too much. Pete was the one, as I said, because he wasn't anchored down in musicianship in the traditional sense he was like i'm just going to leap about i know where my finger is so i know an a is a b and a e and blah 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 i know what i'm doing and you know so you were transfixed by his visuals Linnet was very similar in thin lizzie he was more of a musician than pete but he had his thing he didn't move around so much but he used the guitar as a as a splashback mirror bounce thing and you know as a machine gun and all this kind of stuff and pete did the same thing but Pete tended to turn his guitar inside out to do that, which I've never seen anybody do. And the fact that he knew how to set it off with either the Harlequin trousers or the striped ones, which became a big thing on the Nawabum scene. I mean, Sav, Steve Harris, every band ever had the black and white Pete way trousers. Yeah, you know they just did. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he, he, you see what I mean? He made an impact, He made a, a much more of an impact on us as a person than he did as a as a bass player. Right. But, um, obviously, he was the bass player. And when you listen to Cherry oh. on Obsession, which is obviously, again, another Pete song, um, that whole intro that's done on bass is great. It really is well done. So I'm not suggesting he couldn't play. And he's saying it just wasn't a massive right. priority for him the way it would have been for Jaco Pastorius, for example, or somebody like that. You know, he was he was just Pete Way, you know, rock star. Probably said that on his passport.
3: Yeah, for sure. Joe, uh, last thing, and I'll leave you with this. Everybody has, and you've given us a couple already, but, you know, and Mike Klink sent me a note about Pete as well. He was doing a record with him, apparently, you know, at the time of his death. But but Mike said, when I told Mike I was doing this, he said, you know, for God's sakes, it's Pete, have fun and celebrate him because that's what he would have wanted because he was always just such a party and so much fun and so many great stories. Everybody has got Pete Way stories. No, no, who's come in contact with him? You've certainly had a lot of time spent with him, especially early on. Do you have anything else you can share as far as maybe like one great story or one great memory? Like for instance, Michael tells the story that they went off stage and Pete took a quaalude and forgot he had to come back out for the encore and just went down halfway through the encore. <laughs> so everybody's got Pete Way stories like that. Is there any you know nights of partying or any stories you can share?
4: Too many, actually. Um, I remember one time they played Dublin in the mid-90s and him and Tonka, I think he was, were sharing a room. So I, I I went down to see him and they'd already gone to bed, the two of them, but they opened the door and I just sat on the end of Pete's bed while the two of them sat <laughs> drinking Fox and orange until I went home. You know, I was just mad. My favourite Pete way story is, other than the babysitting one, which is always fun, um, when they played Sheffield one, week, one year, uh, it would have been late 70s early 80s he, he we were hanging out and he said I'm starving it anyone gonna eat it was like 130 in the morning you know the only thing open at 1 in the morning is is one of these like um, greasy spoons that taxi drivers get a burger from under the railway arches in Sheffield so I'm like well I can take you down there and so we drove my crappy little car down to the place where the taxi drivers kind of hang out until they are called to get a And out steps Pete, Capizio's tight plastic <laughs> leather of trousers, leopard-skin coats, mascara all smeared over his face, runny-wood hair, the whole bit. And we get out of the car and we're standing in this cube burger and coke amongst all these fat, ball-headed T-shirt-wearing taxi drivers. You can only imagine the looks he was getting. <laughs> and he he wasn't intimidated one bit. There wasn't, nobody even thought to think, oh, it's Matt. You know, they just kind of took one look. Yeah. You know? And he just stood there. like going, I'm Pete. You Why?
3: Know? <laughs> 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 oh, oh, brilliant. He, he's going to be missed. What, a, what a, what a rough year for us as UFO fans, Paul Raymond, yeah. Paul Chapman, and now Pete. Uh, but I, I wanted to do something to, to, to celebrate him and, and, Joe, I can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your day to to share some some memories and stories about him.
4: My pleasure. I wish I didn't have to do it, but I'm glad to contribute.
3: Thank you so much, Joe. Be well, and uh, I'm sure yeah, we'll Daddy, be. T- thanks for me. Yeah, and hopefully we'll be talking soon. Best to you and your family during yeah, these crazy man. times, and you too. My thanks to Joe Elliott, much appreciated. Coming up next, as we wrap up this special. Tribute to Pete Way, this special edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, the man himself, Michael Shanker. Well, when you talk about influence and impact on so many musicians, you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that doesn't cite Michael Shanker as an influence. Shanker very much loved Pete Way, even though he hadn't been in the band with him for a while. Uh, that was clear when... It, Michael posted how much it meant to him for when Pete passed away and how impactful it was. I also reached out to Michael for a few minutes. He joined me by calling in from England. Here are his thoughts about his former bandmate on the Eddie trunk podcast. Michael, my condolences to you. I know that Pete was very special to you. You wrote a a really touching, uh, statement online. Um, your thoughts about Pete and uh, what you can share with us about uh, last time, maybe you spoke to him.
5: Well, first of all, I haven't really seen Pete for a long time, probably as long as seven years. Oh. And, um, so, so because at some point I was kind of trying to include him into my project in the last, you know, like since, uh, 2010, 11 or something like that. Um, but uh, he, he uh, you know, he, he <laughs> but first of all, I must say, I mean, he is the sweetest guy on earth, and uh, somehow, somewhere, very innocent and pure. But uh, and 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 he's just his charisma is is just amazing. I mean, he was the star in UFO Life on Stage, you know. He, he captured, I mean, he had so much magic. Um, he captured that anybody who saw him, you know, was totally, you know, captured by him. And uh, But somewhere, Pete Way got, somewhere down the road, Pete Way got confused. Um, I don't know what happened to him, but... You know, he he got confused, and he 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 just. Uh, I guess you know with the with the end of UFO when when I left the band, um, you know maybe things started then. I don't know, but I have been with Pete, you know, over the years many times. He lists, you know, with my children in Los Angeles. I mean, in Arizona for. For months, two, two, or two, and uh, and I tried to include him many times, you know, in in my project. To, to I, I helped him with the plot, you know. He made the he started to sing, and and so I was always there for Pete, and I even got in touch with his doctor um, towards, you know, the like. I think that maybe is already as long as four years ago. I was still, you know, very, you know, talking to him and telling him, look, we, we get you together and we make this all happening. And, and, uh, at some point, I, I, I think I even spoke to his doctor or whatever. But, um, it was just, you know, and then I invited Pete once again with, when, when Joe Elliott was still alive. I had two bass players on the stage. Michael Frost was singing and Herman Weber was playing. Um, uh, uh, drums and uh, I, I, you know because Pete became so unreliable I had to invite I, I, I had two bass players you know and so I had Pete play you know a few like four songs or five songs or something like that and but it just became um, very very difficult you know but uh, but the essence of Pete you know is it's just Unbelievable, and the chemistry and his part in U F O, it, it it cannot be perfect. it cannot be more perfect. I mean, U F O was a perfect chemistry anyway. But Pete's part, you know, he he was the dirt, he was the rock and roll, he was the charm on stage. He had the the charisma. Um, he did his part, you know, and uh, he influenced a lot of bass players, Oh, Not yeah. just bass players, other people were blown away by him, by his charisma. He actually had similar offers than I, like I did, you know, I like Rolling Stones, uh, Ozzy Osbourne, and, and, and many more. But because Pete, as, you know, as, as the journey went on, it became, um, Pete became lost, you know, just simply lost. Uh, he, he could not find, he could not grasp on to staying solid. Uh, He just drifted somewhere. And, uh, but that's not really what I want to talk about. I just want to remember the people that I know when he was a teenager or, you know, I think he was already over 21 when I joined, when I was 17. But that was the magic, you know. The first album was uh, produced by Leo Lyons. The second, you know, that was Phenomenon. Then doing Fawcett, also produced by Leo Lyons. And then we did No Heavy Petting, also produced by Leo Lyons. And then we thought it was time for a change. And then, of course, (laughs) and then, you know, here we have Paul Raymond on top of it, you know, gone. Paul Chapman, gone, you know. It's terrible. It's a terrible time. We have the coronavirus. Uh, We we cannot go on stage. Um, We have people dying left and right. And uh, now, you know, my dear friend Pete, you know, uh, I was just actually thinking about him. And then I get a message from Michael Foss that he passed away, you know. Uh, I was so shocked. And very sad, you know?
3: Yeah, it's... it's been It's been an unbelievably difficult time, as you mentioned for UFO because Paul Raymond, who was also in your band for a short time, we lost last year, and more recently Paul Chapman, a lot of people don't know you actually were in the band for a brief time with Paul Chapman early on and he died unexpectedly on his birthday, no less so it's been a very very tragic time for for the band and i I can only imagine what Phil is going through and how difficult this has been for him um you you know Michael. The thing you're right. I mean, the outpouring of love for Pete since this news came out on Friday, and all of the musicians who have said what a big influence uh, and inspiration he was to them is is truly incredible. It really is. And everybody, Michael, everybody has a funny Pete story. They've got. Tons of them, <laughs> but do you do you have do you have one or two that you can share with the audience? Because I want to celebrate Pete today too. So is there anything that jumps out to you? Do you like maybe from early on or even later or any funny sort of yeah, you know, okay. quick Pete story? Yeah, that, I don't know if it's funny, but
5: you know, <laughs> it's just like Pete way. You know, he was always walking on the edge um, at the same time as he was very charming and, uh, you know, very, very enchanting and, uh, had an powerful magic, um, you know, uh, but he did some, well, we all did some crazy things, of course, but it was remarkable what he did. Um, like we played, I must've been 18 or 19 and, uh, and he was—I don't, I, I don't even know how much older Pete, Pete was, but uh, maybe four years or five years—and and, and uh, <laughs> he took a a a quaalude. Like after we got off stage, he took a quaalude, and then we had to do an audio. Uh, we had to do an encore. <laughs> But the crowd was already working on him. <laughs> and, and while we were doing the encore, he, co- he, he halfway through the song collapsed in the corner of the stage, uh, like on stage. <laughs> and, and, you know, that was like Pete, you know. Uh, it's it just, uh, Pete was very, he had, I think he had no borderline, like he was trusting everybody. He he was the sweetest guy to everyone he would meet.
6: Yeah. If it
5: was my mother, if it was a stranger, if it was anybody. I mean, if you need a diplomat or somebody who makes peace with people, it's Pete. You know, Pete is the one that that welcomes any any anybody, and uh, so that was, you know, a very very strong. Characteristics of his, of his, and uh, but parallel to that was the very, very the dangerous edge that he was he was walking, um, you know, on the edge. He basically he was walking on the edge all the time, and uh, could never let go and. Of of walking on the edge, and as time went on, I I think that uh, things got worse, and and you know it, it it became very difficult for him. Um, I don't really. I hadn't been with Pete every day. I only been with Pete until you know the when, until I left Euro, and then. A, a, a few times when I tried to help him, um, um, you know, with different projects, etc. But uh, he 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 never found his way. I mean, he even now just did with Mike Klink, you know, which was remarkable. He he was singing, he did a record right. uh, with guest musicians. I I think even Slash played on it,
6: mm-hmm.
5: and uh, so. So, you know, he became a singer because well, I don't know what happened to his bass playing. I guess he became incapable or he didn't want to play bass anymore. He wanted to become a singer. I don't know. He, maybe he had new dreams. I have no idea because I was not connected to him anymore for the last few years. And uh, because, you know, that, that he became so unreliable that it, it was like as, you know i said to be you know just do whatever you like and be happy but you know there's nothing much i can do for you anymore and that's already a few years ago um but he he, he got a band together he started singing and and uh, i don't know what that how that went and uh, but again you know for me the important part is the the pureness the essence of Pete, when he was um, starting with the UFO, that is the Pete that was, you know, um, not going down the drain. That was the Pete who just discovered, you know, rock and roll and life and uh, and was in a, in a magic chemistry of a band, you know, and he had The hundred perfect, a hundred percent perfect spot in that band that nobody on this planet could have filled.
3: Yeah, it's it's really remarkable because when you when you look at the old videos and you, you you see he was just a force force of nature on that stage and the way he performed and the way he I mean as much as uh, of of his playing and what he did as a writer and his contributions to UFO but also the way he dressed the way he acted the the, the rock star yeah. that he was it's had such a big impact on so many musicians many who went on to have, you know, quite honestly, much, much larger careers. I mean, everybody has reached out about Pete. I, I I gotta ask you this one final thing, Michael, on on Pete, because we could talk about him forever, but I, I I'm I'm you know, we have so many people that are reaching out that wanted to talk about him. Um you you are in a unique position to speak about him because of course, as you mentioned, you were in UFO uh, and a huge, enormous part of UFO yourself uh, during the the glory years, if you will, during those years of the seventies. What was it like as a musician to share a stage with him? I mean, he'd always be stomping around and circling you. I would see in videos, and you know, he'd always be all over the stage as a musician and as a performer. What was it like to share all the all those shows with him and be on those stages all those years?
5: Yeah, yeah, in the beginning. It was okay. It, it was actually very good because it was very controlled. He, he did not go, you know, like like uh, completely over the top, like he did in the end in two thousand when he was standing on my feet and dampening my my strength. I mean, I couldn't even play on stage anymore because he didn't know what he was doing. He was just he was just a a, um, a nuisance uh, for me to perform, you know. And, uh, and, but in the beginning, you know, in the time up to Strangers in the Night when I was in the band, um, it was, it was uh, all, um, how can I say, it, it was, it was uh, just right. It was just perfect what he did. You know, he was coming over to me just in the right, in the right time. He was, you know, going over to fill He was doing, he was filling all the holes from the entertainment point of view, like with his, the way he was dressing and the way he was holding his guitar and the way he would fill the stage. Whenever there was a hole, he filtered and made everything stay alive because he didn't move much, you know? Right. So Pete, Pete did all of that. He, 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 he kept, I think all the hats, <laughs> you know, like a ping pong ball, he, he kept all the hats going from right to left and followed him back and forth. So basically, like, you know, when I, I guess, you know, when I played a solo, for instance, he would come over and, and automatically the spotlight would come with him, you know, to put the focus on me. And uh, somehow, somehow somehow I think that's what he did. And he would kind of direct the audience what to focus on at at a particular time.
3: Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, he was he was one of a kind, and you can see from the outpouring of of love from so many fans and musicians uh, that it, it that, that he is really going to very very much be missed. You know, I had a I would always dream, and I've told you this. I had this dream that. One day, one last time, we could see the strangers in the night lineup play one last show before it was all over. And now, sadly, we've lost Pete and uh, and Paul from that particular era. So it's uh, it's truly sad. It really, really is. But he is he's being remembered and celebrated in a in a very big way. And I, I thank you for making some time to talk about him today.
5: Well, thank you for inviting me. And uh, it's always a pleasure to talk about Pete. I love him and. Uh... What blessing rest please my friends, you
3: know, thank you so much, Michael. I know you have a record coming out, so when that's ready, please let me know and we'll we'll do a we'll we'll do a whole interview about that. I always look forward to talking to you and uh seeing you, and I can't wait to hear what the next record sounds like. Fantastic, thank you so much, Eddie. Thank you, Michael. take care. you too, bye, bye well. Awesome to talk to Michael Schenker. Wish it was under better circumstances. My thanks also to Joe Elliott, Nikki Sixx, and Mike McCready. Certainly hope you enjoyed this special expanded podcast as we paid tribute to Pete Way with all those great artists. Again, it was endless the amount of artists that were willing to come on the show and want to talk about Pete, but obviously only had so much time in the program, and I appreciate those four musicians being a part of it. Rest in peace, Pete Way. You will be missed. And again, as I said at the top of the show, rest in peace, Frankie Benelli, who we lost more recently. We'll do more on Frankie down the line. And again, on the Sirius XM radio show, I did do a complete tribute to him. If you're a subscriber and you miss that, you can get it on demand on the Sirius XM app. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. You can connect with me as usual on social media, especially Twitter, where I'm most active, at Eddie Trunk, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddytrunk.com is the official online home. If you'd like a personal video greeting for someone as a gift or for yourself, I am available on Cameo. Be sure to book at cameo.com, not on the app on an Apple device. If you book on the app on an Apple device, It will cost you more. Be sure to book uh, directly at Cameo.com if you'd like those videos. Also, I'm going to be doing another Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp Masterclass. I had a lot of fun doing these, and it's going to be me speaking to people who have an interest in radio, TV, podcasting, telling some stories, offering some insights. The next one is on October 6th. If you'd like to sign up, you can do so. On the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp website, all the details and information are there. Hope to see you virtually for the next Masterclass on TV and radio and podcasting. Be sure to sign up. Limited availability is there. Thank you to Katie Irizari for producing the podcast, as always. And I will see you guys next Thursday for another all-new episode, free as usual. Podcast One, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Have a good week.